Well, as you can tell, we're not in 1 Corinthians again this week, and I promise uh, we'll be back there soon. Uh, Adam is going to preach next week, and uh, we are uh, traveling to Chattanooga this week to take Grace Ann to college. And so I use these last two weeks as an opportunity to preach on something just a little different. And so we'll be in Joshua today. Um, In a way, this is kind of a message uh, to my daughter and also to to Daisy, who are both leaving this week to go to school. Um, But it's a message also to all of us um, about being Christians that have courage. In our culture today, we need to be people that are brave, that we need to have courage to, um, as people who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, in a a culture that is very... um, against the things that we believe and hold to. And so it takes courage to stand firm. And I want to talk today about what that looks like. How can we be courageous as believers? You know, when we, when we dive down into courage, really what we have to do is dissect it in this way. We can rather be fearful or we can have faith. Because The application of fear is cowardice and timidity. We are cowards when we are fearful. We are living in a fearful world uh, or a fearful life, and therefore we produce or the application or the fruit of our fear is cowardice. On the other end, we have faith. We have trust in a God who tells us not to fear, And as he's telling us not to fear, he's saying, believe and trust in me. Matter of fact, one of my favorite stories in the Bible with the ministry of Jesus was when Jairus comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to do something about his daughter who was sick. And he looks at Jairus and he says, do not fear, only believe. There's the formula. The opposite of fear is faith. And the application of faith is courage. Because when we trust God... When we believe in Him, we will be courageous. We will be brave in His name and in His power. And so I hope that we can be challenged today to think about that. Now the Bible uses a lot of uh, different terms for uh, courage. Uh, One in particular in the New Testament. You won't find the word courage a lot in the New Testament, but you'll find the word boldness. You'll find the word boldness. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 4... The Bible tells us in the early church that they prayed. The place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Well, we would also say that that was speaking with courage. Now, in that story, what we understand is that the very Spirit of God is what gave them boldness. So before we get started, we need to define true courage as being founded and rooted in God. See, you can have crazy fanatics that think that they're courageous and brave, but they're all individualistic and they're selfish and they're doing things just to meet their own motives and their own purposes. But true courage and bravery comes from a gift given to us by the by the God who created us, by the Lord who saves us, by the Spirit who's been put within us to to dwell within us, to give us true courage. And so we need to, as Christians, understand this courage so that with 
an, an attitude, not of fear, but of faith and, and trust in Him, we boldly push forward to carry out the purposes that God has for us. This is why God gives us courage. Not courage necessarily to storm the battlefield or, or stand firm in a, in a difficult situation, but most particularly to do those things for the glory of God. If you're a soldier, if you're a mother, if you're a doctor, if you're a teacher, if you're a teenager, to storm the battlefield of, of uh, anti-God truth or, or anti-God error and to stand the battlefield waving the flag of truth, God gives us those things so that we can represent Him, so that we can glorify Him with the courage that He's given us. So my challenge to us today is that if we believe in the, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, instead of living in sinful fear, we live by faith, trusting in a God who gives us courage. And today we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1, where we see the faithful promises of God that fuel our Christian courage. We're in Joshua chapter 1, we're probably real familiar with this passage because we know Joshua and we know that he followed after Moses. Now, the book of Joshua is written as the next story of Israel after the exodus and the wilderness wanderings. So it's a historical progression from Israel escaping Egypt with Moses, wandering around the wilderness because they were disobedient and rebellious. So from basically Exodus to Deuteronomy, you have the story of Egypt, or Israel leaving Egypt and making their way to the promised land. In Joshua, at the very beginning, we would see, if we were studying through Joshua, we would see the crossing of the Jordan River, and the Jordan River literally signifies the end of their Exodus journey and the beginning of them entering into the promised land. In the same way that them leaving Egypt and crossing through the Red Sea was the beginning of their true exodus and their journey to the wilderness and to the promised land. And the reason why that's important is because if you study Joshua as a figure, you will understand that Joshua parallels Moses. He's the next guy, the next person in line to be used of the Lord to do great things. You can imagine Joshua's life, if we could for a second. You can imagine what it was like for him to be alongside Moses. We read in the Bible and in the book of Exodus and and Deuteronomy in particular, that Joshua comes upon the scene as an assistant to Moses. Literally, the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 1, as Mr. Fred read, that Joshua was the the aide or the servant of Moses. But let's dial it back to um, Exodus chapter 17, where we're told that Joshua, the son of Nun, was actually a general for Israel's army as they battled the Amalekites and defeated them. And so throughout the book of Exodus, we begin to be introduced to this successor for Moses. Matter of fact, Joshua gets to accompany uh, Moses up on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai and experiences great fellowship with God. 
There he was, in the, kind of in the background, in the shadows, and yet a part of this amazing experience where Moses goes up to meet with God. We know that these promises were made to Moses, that he would lead the people to the promised land, but we also know that Moses failed, he rebelled against God, and in his disobedience, God told Moses, you will not get to go to the promised land. So when that call comes for Joshua to take up the mantle, you can imagine, as any person does, that sees a mentor or a leader in their life have great successes and great failures, guess what, guess, or let's assume how Joshua could have felt. He could have been afraid. I don't want to fail like Moses. I don't want to mess up and, and, and not be able to fulfill what God has for me. Oftentimes, the, the next person in line has the opportunity, the, the foresight to see what, what could happen based upon a hindsight of what's already happened. And that's where fear rises up in us. And so Joshua, at the very beginning of his opportunity to lead, God tells him, he commands him to be a man that is strong and courageous. And so from our story in this passage, I want us to look at three promises and two commands that guide us into understanding Christian courage. The first promise is the promise of provision. The promise of provision. It says, Now it came to pass after the death of Moses, the servant of God, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people to the land to which I am giving them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness, this Lebanon, and even as far as the great river, the great river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. First off, we see that Joshua found courage because he was given the promises of God, particularly the promise of provision. When we understand that the Lord is a faithful God who provides for His people, we find great courage in that. We understand, as the Lord promises Israel, that He would give them a land for them to settle, God did just those things. And it wasn't just any land, it was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a fertile land, a a land where the people could find rest. And God promised this land all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. Now we see all these patriarchs that have come and gone and God is continually moving to provide and carry out His plan as a faithful God. God promised this land to Abraham and He fulfills it with the leadership of Joshua. And through all those years, the Lord was carrying out these purposes and carrying out them, showing that, that He is a faithful God who carries out His purposes for His glory. Look at the language with me in verse 2. He tells them that this is the land that I am giving you. At the very beginning of Joshua's ministry, 
Israel has now come to the end of their journey through the wilderness. This unnecessary diversion that they, that they took. If you look at a map and you understand they were coming from the south, from Egypt... And as, as they were coming up, instead of being able to enter into Canaan, they had to wander for years upon years. Why? Because of their rebellion and their disobedience. And now they've uh, come to the Jordan River where Joshua will lead them over and they will be able to conquer the enemies of God and claim this land. But he promises them the land which I am giving you. Meaning that the event that God is gifting to them has not yet happened, but the promise is there and it will come to fruition. God is telling them, I'm about to give you this land which I swore to your fathers. And we know that when God promises things, he brings them to fruition. Therefore, we find courage in that promise. But secondly, in verse 3, notice what he says. He says, not only the land that I am giving to you, but every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. So is God contradictory? No. We see this throughout Scripture. This is the already and the not yet. This is the the promises of what is to become and the promises that He's already brought about these things for them in His sovereignty. He is telling them that, that what they are going to accomplish has already been provided for them. This is the perfect tense of the biblical language. In both the Hebrew and the Greek language, the perfect tense is an is a active verb or an action verb that occurs in the past with continuing effect. So when God tells you that you have been saved, doesn't mean that He's just referring to what Christ has done, but He's also referring to the eternity past when God decided and determined that you would be saved based upon a Jesus who would come. This land that God was providing the people of Israel had already been provided to them way before He ever told Abraham He would give them the land. Why? Because God is a sovereign God. All land belongs to Him. We have no reason to doubt that God's faithful promises are being worked out. When He makes promises, He's already worked them out. That's why we find courage in that. We find courage that in His provision and His care, the Lord is doing these things for His glory and our good. And so He tells us that He is a, He shows us that He is a faithful God carrying out his purposes. But he's also a faithful God who speaks in specifics. In his provision, the Lord tells Joshua in a very geographic way, in verse 4, the very boundaries in which the promised land would exist. He says, from the wilderness which is in the south, and this Lebanon which is in the north, and as far as the great river Euphrates, which was uh, the, the northeastern area, all the way through the Hittites and as far as the great sea, which was on the west. Here G, uh, the, the Lord is giving Joshua the very boundaries of the promised land, giving very specifics. 
to them, showing them, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not speaking in generalities here to you, Joshua. I'm telling you exactly the land that already has been given to you so that you have no reason to fear. And this is what God does for us. He tells us specifics. Now listen, I know what you're thinking. Man, there are tons of times that I've wanted to know the specifics about my life that the Lord doesn't give me. No, He gives you specifics. He just doesn't give you the specifics that you want to hear. He may not tell you the name of the person that you're going to marry, young people, but He has given you a list of principles and and ways in which you can find and filter and decipher the very person that you need to marry. They're very specific. There's no reason for you to wonder, young people, what God has in store for you, what purpose He has for you. God gives and speaks in very detail so that we can understand and know. And He gives Joshua these details, and He's showing Joshua that He is a providing God, a provisional God that loves and cares for us. And He is faithful to carry out those promises. And then he tells them in five, verse 5 another promise, a promise of victory. That no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. In understanding God's provision, Joshua also learned courage by seeing that the Lord is the warrior for His glory and our good. He goes before us in battle. That none of the enemies that would stand in the way of, a, of accomplishing this task... None of these enemies would defeat the Israelites. They would win the war. They would claim the prize and receive the spoils because God was their warrior. He was going before them. Matter of fact, hold your place here. Adam read from it earlier, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Shouldn't be, but a few pages to the left. It's almost a parallel passage to Joshua chapter 1, but this is when the Lord is telling Moses all that he's going to do through Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter 31, look at verses 3 through 5. God gives this message to Moses and Israel. Verse 3, it is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you. And you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them, just as He did to Sion and Og, and the king of the Amorites, and to their land, when He destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. The Lord's saying, look, you have no reason to fear. I bring about victory. Your courage comes not from your own strength and your own ability. It comes from the fact that the Lord goes before you in battle. He is the one that will do the delivering up. He is the one that will destroy the nations. He will the one that that will slay them for His glory. Joshua will be present during these victories. And he will lead in these victories, but he is being reminded, Joshua, you have no reason to fear. Just have faith in the Lord who is the great warrior on the battlefield. He will bring us victory. 
And so as we think about these two promises, the promise of provision and the promise of victory, we can't help but think of just how the Lord brought about a greater victory in Jesus Christ. Jesus is that better Joshua. Jesus is the one who carried out not physical provision for us, but the spiritual provision that we needed. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, sent into this world by the Father to provide what was needed for us spiritually. To give us victory over sin and death. It was there that He put His enemies on our enemies to open shame by triumphing over them. It was there that sin was paid for and death was defeated. And guess what? It was a far better provision than having a plot of land in the Middle East. Because Jesus was providing a greater rest for us than any land would have provided the people of Israel. That's what they were there to do. They had wandered. They had been in captivity. They were going to the promised land as a people to find rest. But it was a temporary rest. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews connects to this passage in Hebrews chapter 4. And he says these words in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. See, Joshua provided a temporary rest through the power of the Lord to provide a land But the land was only a foreshadow of the real land, the real place, the real rest that we find in Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. It will be with Him that we truly will find rest. And who provided that? Christ. He provides that rest that we need. The peace and the reconciliation, the satisfaction and the joy that we find in Christ alone. He provided that victory for us so that we might rejoice in Him. Which is why the third promise, the third promise is the promise of presence. We read this earlier. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you, he says in Joshua 1, 5. Just as I have been with Moses, Joshua, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. This last promise from the Lord to Joshua is that it's a reminder that all that has been accomplished through the faithfulness of the Lord for His people was accomplished by the Lord who was always present with His people. We see throughout the history of the Bible the great example of God coming and dwelling among His people. Even in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve fellowshipping with the Lord. There, God fellowshipping with man. Being present with man. And even after the great rebellion of Adam and Eve, the Lord continued to visit and to dwell among the people temporarily. Matter of fact, you could say that the coming of the Lord's presence in the camp of Israel and the leaving of the Lord's presence in the camp of Israel, the separation between the people of Israel and God's holiness in the temple, all of these things reflected something wrong in our world. 
Because man was prohibited from fully enjoying the presence of the Lord, even though the presence was there. So there was an encouragement because God was dwelling among them, and yet there was a separation and a reminder that sin had caused a separation. So knowing God was there was good, and yet knowing that you could not go to God or or be in His presence was really bad. Enter Jesus into the scene. Jesus comes as God in the flesh. The greatest example of God dwelling with man. Putting on human flesh. Bringing restoration to the people and the presence of God. Showing us that through Jesus Christ, we can have true fellowship with God once again. That we are united with Christ. That we are reunited with God through His death and resurrection. And therefore, we can enjoy the presence of God because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. The Holy Spirit came. He dwells among believers. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Therefore, we can say that Christ dwells within us through the Holy Spirit, which therefore is confirmed when Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 that even though He is leaving, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The very promise of the presence of God is a reminder that we find courage that we are not alone. That passage in Deuteronomy reminded them that God would bring them the victory. That He would go before them into battle. How does God go before them into battle? He's not long distance fighting the battle. He is, His presence is there in the midst of them fighting the battle for them and through them. So these promises, church, are the the promises that fuel our Christian courage. That no matter what battle you face, no matter what battle we face, we are reminded that the Lord is with us in the doctor's offices, in difficult moments in your room, crying over your children, or lost relationships. When you lose your job or you struggle in, in your employment... We know that God is with us. We know the battles rage in difficult marriages. We understand that God has not left us alone in this world. We have fellowship with Him, which is why He gives us peace. Which is why He allows us to to move beyond uh, the sadness and the difficulty, to find courage to press on and boldness to move forward in serving Him. Because He's with us. Because He brings us victory. Because He is faithful to these promises. And this is the message that Joshua needed to understand. To be reminded. These were not new promises. These were promises that he heard promised to Moses. Most likely when he was right there. Hearing these promises from the Lord to the faithful servant Moses. And yet, just like us, we need to be reminded. Have courage. Don't fear. In your faith, trust 
in the power and the strength and the provision and the victory and know that the presence of God is with you. So in verses 6 and 7, Joshua receives the commands. Two commands. Three different times, Joshua is told, be strong and courageous. Move from fear to faith, and in your faith, have courage because of a faithful God who always fills His or fulfills His promises. And you must put on courage. It's a command. You know that courage is available by God's gift, but you have to put on courage in the same way that you have to turn away from fear. And so to be obedient and to to trust in God is to both, in these synonymous words, be strong and courageous. They literally reflect the same idea. God will give us strength to accomplish what He plans for us to do. Now this is why Christian courage is different. Because we were created to glorify God. We were created to honor Him. So we might see people reflect some form of courage, but it's not true courage because they're not out there fulfilling the plan and the purposes of God. You could say that in our culture today, people display courage by speaking their mind. But that's not real courage because they're not doing so in a way that glorifies and honors the Lord. It's with selfish intent. And so in other words, that is a courage or a bravery or a boldness that actually opposes the very nature and character of God. We are called to put on a courage that finds God as faithful and allows us to accomplish His goals and tasks for us. He's proven this again through Christ who defeated sin and death. And therefore, He shows us that nothing is impossible with God. Our great illnesses, our great conflicts, our great tragedies, the Lord can defeat them, and therefore we must have courage. But the interesting thing is, He doesn't promise that He will defeat our temporal enemies, and yet He knows that He gives us, we know that He gives us courage to fight them even if they aren't defeated. So you might not overcome cancer. You might not get through a difficult situation at work. You might lose your job. But the courage that we find in the character of God is that He will bring about a greater good and a greater purpose regardless of the temporal situation or circumstance that we're in. For example, Joshua doesn't actually fulfill all of the promises that God has by uh, uh, possessing the full land of the promised land. We actually won't see that happen until King David. But what Joshua does is he fulfills the beginning of that promise, what the promises were that God had for Joshua that continue on through other leaders showing Joshua that it's not built all on his shoulders, that God will raise up other leaders to continue the mission and continue the purpose. He just needs to have courage for the task that God has given him 
so that they may be fulfilled. This is a big deal when it comes to us bearing the weight of responsibility. I've heard preachers go tell people before, if you don't share the gospel, people are going to die and go to hell. No, God wants you to share the gospel to be faithful and obedient. But if God wants to save someone, He's just going to raise someone else up to take the gospel to them. They won't die and go to hell. You're not excused from being faithful. Your responsibility is to be faithful to God and let Him use you as He sees fit. And so the command to be strong and courageous is built not upon us as if we're some great gift to the Lord because He can raise up someone else, but to be faithful to what He's called us to do He wants us to have courage, not that the battle necessarily will end, but that we will be faithful in the battle. Which leads us to the second and final command. The second and final command is simply the call to obedience. For two verses, or three verses, Joshua is told that his courageous Attitude and his courageous purposes are built upon his obedience. You can't, dis- you can't divide these things up. He says in verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all according to the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The same message that's given to Joshua here was given to Moses and the founding fathers of Israel before them. The message is that courage is is intermingled and leads us to obedience. Courage is not unrestrained bravery. Instead, it's purposeful and directed toward the Lord's words and works in us. We find courage when we obey the Lord Because again, courage comes in a relationship with the Lord, seeking to do His will in our lives. How do you find courage? How do you put on courage as a Christian? Well, it appears that the Holy Spirit, by His inspiration, is showing us that it's intrinsically connected to the Word of God and its relationship to your life. How would you find courage if you didn't know what God had done throughout history? It's not, a, it's not some feeling that comes over you. Some mystical experience. It's when you read stories of men like Joshua, women like Esther, our faithfulness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul. These people and Christian history Uh, leaders throughout uh, Christian history, they give us courage because we see that they are being obedient to the Word of God. 
We understand. And so the Word is what fuels our Christian courage. In verses 7 through 9, we see that the Word is what we should value and respect. That every word that's given. We can't pick and choose. We can't edit God's Word for more culturally relevant truth. It's the very Word that God has given us that's as, it's as relevant as it gets. It's sufficient. And Joshua's command to be courageous means he must find that courage in all that God has commanded for his guidance and his good. Look at some of the phrases that he uses. Do not turn from it to the right or left. You know what he's telling them to do? He's telling Joshua to do exactly the opposite of what people do when they want to be courageous. Well, I'm just going to take things in my own hands. No, he's saying, Joshua, this isn't about you. This isn't about your ideas. This is about you being courageous by doing exactly what the Word of God tells you to do. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Stay the course. Secondly, the the phrase, the law shall not depart from your mouth. What's he telling Joshua to do? If you want to be a courageous leader, Joshua, you need to be filled with the Word of God. It should be so saturating you that you are so filled with it that it will never depart from your mouth. The third phrase that Joshua should meditate on it day and night. Meditation spoke of being satisfied in it. That the Word of God would be such a an encouraging thing, a, 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 a thing that, that, that bred courage in him, that he would find satisfaction in the very words of God. He wasn't unwillingly or begrudgingly doing them, that he was satisfied in finding joy and being obedient to do them. And so the Lord is calling His people to obedience to the Word of God. And in that obedience, we will be strengthened and given courage that we need. This is what the Spirit of God does as He enlightens our minds to understand the Word of God. He inspires us from the messages that, that we read, the stories, the truth. It emboldens us, emboldens us to rest and find hope in the character of our great God. I want you to notice something as I draw to a close. In chapter 1 of Joshua, verse 1, it says, Now it came about at the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Moses is called the servant of the Lord. Okay. Now in the New American Standard, Joshua is also called the servant of the Lord. But that's a different word. Matter of fact, you probably have some cross-reference or, or note, notation there. Because Joshua, that word should really translate as the aid of Moses. So what I want you to see is that Joshua is called the aid or the assistant to Moses. Moses, at the end of his life, is called the servant of the Lord. 
That servant of the Lord title was a title that was given to Moses at the end of his life because he was faithful. And what's really cool and what's really interesting is that we don't see Joshua called the servant of the Lord until the end of his life. At the very end of Joshua, where he is now labeled with the term servant of the Lord. This is significant because it reminds us, it reminds us and calls us to obedience. It reminds us to to press on and be faithful to what God has called us to do so that we too might be considered a faithful servant of the Lord. He didn't receive that title at the beginning, even though he had been faithful, but at the end, in a way to honor Moses and then to honor Joshua, the Lord calls them the servant of the Lord. Will you be considered a servant of the Lord? When you breathe your last breath, will people see you and honor you in that way? Will you be courageous to stand firm upon the truth of God's Word in a society that opposes it? This is a a great battle. It's a great difficulty for us not to cower and, and be afraid, but we must stand firm and be bold because standing upon the truth of God's Word and being bold to proclaim it is a courageous act that only has been given by the Holy Spirit within us. Let us be challenged to be courageous because the Lord is on our side. We can't cower to sin because Jesus has defeated sin and death. We can't cower to sickness because heavenly healing awaits us in the end. We must not cower to evil because the Lord is the victor. And we cannot cower to conflict because we serve the God of peace. Let me conclude with Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. This is an encouraging passage to all of us of Paul showing great courage in his ministry. Paul says in verse 18 of chapter 1 of Philippians, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through prayer, through your prayers, and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul learned from the Lord Jesus Christ to have courage in the midst of even the gravest and the most dangerous situations because the Spirit of God had given him that, because the Word of God had had rooted that in him. And so he was faithful to be brave, to not fear, even if it was his own death that was to come. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us this courage. God, in, in our lives, Father, fear is a great evil. And because of it, Father, we oftentimes cower 
And that fear leads us to not be faithful to what you have us to do. Lord, we know that it requires great courage to serve you. And we are thankful that you give it graciously. We don't deserve it, but we are thankful that it really does change us. It really does send us, Father, to do things that we would never even consider to do ourselves.